0: There's going to be some picture on the back screen that's going to break down and show you a little bit of detail. Atmosphere is your attitude. We talked about that a lot a couple of weeks ago. You carry an atmosphere, an an air, a characteristics, uh, and the ethos word was even thrown out there. You carry that everywhere you go, whether you realize it or not. When you walk into a room, you carry into that room an atmosphere. That is you, specific to you. The next word that we've been using a lot is, uh, and I spoke on it last week, was the word environment. This here is an environment. An environment is made up of many people. We have a lot of environments. We tried to recall some of them last week. I told you that, yeah, this church is an environment, your, your home is an environment, your workspace is an environment, your school's an environment. And your atmosphere goes into those environments, and they are affected because of your attitude, your air, your atmosphere. And then the last one that I'm not going again to go down the path of today, because I don't have 100% clarity on it, is culture. It's popular culture. Seven billion plus people on the earth, and there's many cultures that are in that seven billion people. And I said something and maybe you disagree with it and that's okay. You go to the Lord and you see what he says about you. But I am just struggling with me who has said this from this stage before. We are going to go out and change the world. And I do believe from what the Lord has revealed to me is that that is an impossibility. Even under the influence of the Holy Spirit the power of God and the presence of God. I don't think that we are going to change the world. I don't think we are going to change popular culture. Jesus did not change popular culture. His disciples did not change popular culture. And that conclusion has come to me because if Jesus would have changed the popular culture, they would have not put him on a cross. They would have said, you are our king, not our earthly king, but you are our king sent from God. He would have changed culture. That would have happened. The disciples didn't do it either. They were under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And they did not change culture because if they would have changed culture, they too would not have been murdered or martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. I think you can study this for yourself. All of them but one was martyred, killed because they followed Jesus. They didn't change popular culture. But what I have discovered is that they did have subcultures in the environments that they affected. And that's what I'm running after. And studies and prayer And lots of conversations that we're having amongst our staff, our leaders, our intercessors, and anyone else who wants to have the conversation. I believe that we can achieve a subculture that is counter popular culture because I see that in scripture. And so this morning, just running through this, it is not open up your mouth and let the preacher pour into you this morning. It's not, this is what the pastor at Hope City said. So this is what we're going to do. This is simply to spark thought and interest so that you can go home and see where the Holy Spirit leads you. I have a few questions that I'm gonna show up here just running through these really quickly. Again, take notes, write these down. Whether you wanna forget this or not, that's up to you. The first question, going back to a few weeks ago, is what is your atmosphere? It's a check. What's your attitude? What is your characteristic? What is your air? When you walk into the room, what is it? What's your atmosphere? That's between you and the Holy Spirit. You have the conversation with him, and he will, in an unbelievably gentle way, say what is needed to be said. You can lie to yourself You cannot lie to God. Second one, real quick, what what are your environments? Last week we talked about, what are your environments? I hope that some of you have discovered that your atmosphere is affecting some of your environments. To our younger, to our school-age kids that are in here, to our students, listen, your attitude, your atmosphere can affect, for a kingdom purpose, your environment at school. I don't care if no one else prays over your meal, not that you have to do it, but that is showing that you stand for something different. Your atmosphere can change the environment. Hey, young ladies, you don't have to date just because everyone else is dating. Your attitude and atmosphere can affect the environment at your school in a very kingdom way. But you cannot just submit to, I'm going to go with the flow. You cannot just submit to, it is too difficult to go against the popular culture. You have to take a stand, and I'm not just speaking to the students here, but you have to, if you're wanting to be a part of a different environment than what some of you grew up in, you're going to have to take a stand. And we're not going to be moved by popular culture But we are honestly going to say, God, through your Holy Spirit, when you move me, I'm going to move. That's what Jesus did. It was hard to go against the culture. He knew it was going to cost him his life. But when Jesus heard God speak to him, he moved. So did the disciples. That's why they died. And then the last question that we're going to hang on here for just a few minutes this morning is... What expectations does your environment have? Just real quick, every one of your environments has an expectation, whether it's voiced or whether it goes unsaid. Every environment, every environment has an expectation. Here in the church, I believe that we have done a less than stellar job of voice and expectations. Expectations. I think we're afraid of running people off. I think we're afraid of hurting people's feelings, being offended. But in our conversations around the table, I don't know of any other entity that you can go and be a part of and not have expectations laid out before you. I... I've had on my mind and my heart throughout this snow. I don't know if you've been driving, but have you seen all the cars in the ditch? A bunch of cars in the ditches. I know that I was talking to a fireman just earlier this morning. He said that there was already a, a house that burnt in Thomasville. I've been hearing of others that have been burning. My heart has been for police officers, these first responders and our firemen, because I know that when we're stowed up by the warm stove, they're out there seriously risking their lives. And I have a brother-in-law who's a fireman. I have some other friends that are firemen. I've gotten sort of brought into not their circle, um, but I I start to see that there's a subculture in the fire and the police industry And I want to tell you, there are some very strict expectations in that environment. But do you know why there are expectations? It's for their good and our benefit as well. Can you imagine? First of all, listen, I'd have to shave my whole face to be a fireman, at least not have this mustache, or I could have the mustache, but nothing else. It's an expectation. But can you imagine if they just let me walk in and hang out in the firehouse for a little while and then there was this house fire and they said, oh, Scott, you've been here for three or four days, man. It's great. Why don't you go in there and put that out? You know what's going to happen? I'm going to die. I'm glad you think that's funny. I'm going to die, possibly injure or kill other firemen who I just wandered into their environment. I'm going to cause the house to probably burn down. And if there are people trapped in the house, guess what? There are going to be other deaths. Calamity happens when I am not living up to those expectations. I wandered into uh, the, the YMCA in High Point the other weekend, and there was a karate skills don't even know what it's called because it's so foreign of an environment to me but we were there had a lot of time on our hands and my four-year-old sat on my lap and loved watching as people of all ages grown men who who, who were doing some amazing things to young children who were breaking boards with their fists and all kinds of things and I just sat there and I thought they have expectations You see, I just can't show up at their dojo. I guess that's what it's called, their dojo, and bring me a recliner and sit in the recliner and watch them do all of these moves and training and just eat chips. I just can't do that, can I? Listen, they're not even going to allow me to do that, maybe once, but then they're going to say, listen, this is not what this environment is for. But you see, it's not that they're trying to be mean. They're trying to protect me. Can you imagine what would happen if I went to a karate tournament? But I just remained in their environment and sat in the recliner and ate chips. I'm going to go fight someone in my weight class, heavyweight, and I'm going to get killed, right? So listen, I want to put this in the context of Jesus' followers. We've been afraid to voice expectations but you hang out in this environment. And we don't say that these are the expectations of the Father and this is the example that Jesus set before us. We don't do any of that, but expect you to go out there in life. And it's no wonder some of you are dying. Because you're trying to come be a part of something that you don't even fully understand what you've signed up for. You're getting killed out there. And so this environment that we just labeled Hope City, it has expectations because we're following after Jesus, and those expectations aren't even being set by me or anybody else. I go into Scripture and I see these expectations. And I just want to share just a few of them in time's sake this morning. There's going to be a lot of scripture that I announce, that I say, that I'm not going to read here this morning. But I just have a few of these that I've read through in the early books of Acts that I see expectation of generosity. It was just an expectation back then. I'm in Acts chapter 2 if you want to follow along. And I'll probably say a few of these that you can maybe look up later. But in in Acts chapter 2, I'm just starting here in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common Look at this, verse 45, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. I turn over to the fourth chapter and I see the same thing. Chapter four, verse 31, it talks about their generosity. Listen to this, it says, all through verse 37, it talks about specific men. Are you looking at that? I love at the end of verse 33, it says, much grace was upon them. Look at verse 34. It says, there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and bought the money or brought the money from the sales. Verse 35, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, verse 37, it says he sold a field he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. There was an expectation of generosity. I'm not talking about tithe and offering. But as people who are running after Jesus, there is there, there's an expectation that I see of Generosity. And I know it's foreign. It is truly countercultural because we're trying to get whoever has the most at the end of this thing is. I don't know why we think or we've fallen into that, but you don't win. You don't win. What I've seen in the kingdom, what I've seen from heaven into this place is those who give. They they don't give to, to get reward. They just give so that they can give more. There's a culture, there's an environment, there is expectation of generosity if we're running after Jesus. And let me just say this, because in the church we've done this, in this world we've done this, we have measured and approved of your generosity by putting a number on what you can give. It's not how it works in the kingdom. See, it's not about the amount that is given that the kingdom is even concerned with. Listen, it is simple as God is looking at the intentions of our heart when we give. There's a story, read it in one of the Gospels. Talks about this lady, she had like two pennies and she gave it. And Jesus loved the fact that she gave everything she had. There was people all around her just pouring droves of money in the bucket. And he said, this lady who gave basically two pennies gave way more than all of them. It's not about the quantity. It's about what your heart's intentions are. And so we use this word around here a lot. And we did this earlier in prayer this morning is we practice this. We practice these things that God is revealing to us because if we don't practice, we're not going to grow in them. And so we're going to give time, not here this morning, although you can, but in the weeks to come for you to be able to give generously. And if you've been around the church very long, because I'm guilty of this, so I'm not saying that we're not, that we're better than them. If you've been around the church anytime, the month of December is a great time for year-end giving. And we push that. Gift to Hope City, year-end tax-deductible gift. You've heard us even say that before. That's not, well, I I honestly don't think that's what God wants to do. If you want to do it, that's up to you and God. I want to know that your intentions are pure in that. But here's the thing. We want you continuing to practice generosity. So here's what we have done over the last two or three years. It's been longer. It's been almost three years. We've called this thing on the fifth Sunday of every month, we call it Hope Dealer Sunday. You've heard about it. Some of you have participated in it. December has five Sundays. And we want to allow you to practice generosity. Hope Dealer Sunday is something that we started about three years ago. You guys have given over $70,000 to Hope Dealer offerings in almost three years. That's phenomenal. Last year, 22% of everything that you guys gave went back out into our community. Hope dealer offering stays right here in this house. Hope dealer offering is something that we think uh, the Lord blesses because we are able to bless brothers and sisters who are part of this church. And so what we're going to do this, this year, this month, is that our hope dealer offering is going to go to one of our own brothers and sisters in this house and it is our worship leader, Andy and Emily Peel. I don't know if you know their story. This is very hard for them to even sit in this service and hear this kind of thing because listen, I don't even want to tell you the story. I think there's going to be opportunities for you to hear their story into the future. They'll share you their story. But I just want to tell you that Emily, Andy's wife, has been battling cancer. Insurance has denied any help, and that is what they face. But what I've seen coming from them is a closeness, not only in their relationship with each other, But there is a a a favor on them that is affecting many other people that they are in relationship as well. They have a story that is in the making. And I know when the Lord says go, they are going to share. So we're going to practice generosity amongst the Peel family for the next few weeks in December. You don't have to wait till the last Sunday in December to give. We set it up where you can give to the Hope Dealer offering online. Some of you, I know, love to give that year-end gift. This Sunday, this, this, this season, I want it to go to our Hope Dealer offering because we're going to practice an expectation of following Jesus, and that's that we're generous. If you have any questions about that, feel free to email me, feel free to email Melinda, feel free to ask Andy, feel free to ask any of our staff members, and we'll have conversation about it. Because the expectation of the disciples here in Acts running after the one they loved, they met people's needs. For time's sake this morning, I, I, I'm not going into the depths, maybe we'll hit this in a couple of weeks, but there was an expectation of family. There was an expectation of community. There was an expectation of courage. The last two for just a few minutes. When I read and hear about these early disciples, these followers of Jesus, there was an expectation of prayer. Prayer. And I'm not just talking about you praying over your meal. I'm not just talking about throwing something up, hey, hey, God, I need, I'm in a bad spot, I need your help. I'm talking about serious, intentional, intercessory prayer. This is something that we're going to have to teach a lot on. This is something that is foreign to many of us. It was foreign to me a couple of years ago when I got surrounded by a group of intercessors who prayed like I'd never heard anybody pray before. It was brand new to me. If I'm being honest, it was a little aggressive. But these people believed in having conversation with God and it has continued to this very day and i believe i am reaping the benefits and you are reaping the benefits of people who take conversations with god very seriously you can go through all of acts early on it was constant they were praying they were praying acts 1:14 acts 2:42 these are just specifics Acts 4.31, these are intense times of prayer. There's one I need to point out and it has been very impactful on me just this week as I came to Acts chapter 12. If you want to turn there, you can, or follow along. Acts 12, verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in prison. You see, one of the expectations is that it's not even going to get voiced here and taught on today, but just because you're running after Jesus does not mean everything in your life is going to come together. I'm going to teach Christmas Eve, Sunday morning in two weeks, on a passage of scripture that I think has changed my life. And it just happened just a couple of weeks ago. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. That's for Christmas Eve. Acts twelve five. 5 says, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. Guys, People running after Jesus, that's what we do. That's an expectation. And this isn't to shame anyone. Listen, I'm the first to say, my prayer life is not even where it needs to be, but I have people around me encouraging me. And I look through this crowd and I see people who have spurred me on to pray. I see people in this very auditorium this morning who has told me, hey, Scott, you know, it would be a great thing. Let's practice praying in the spirit for 15 minutes every morning. We have prayer meetings throughout all the week. Last night, there was a Christmas party at not this place, but at a barn in our community. And it was a bunch of people who are intercessors, not only for me, this church, you, but this entire community. There was a Christmas party of intercessors last night. And I will help teach you what I have learned through brothers and sisters and from the Lord, what it means to pray. I'll help you because I understand that some of our parents in this place struggle when it comes time to pray with your children or come time to pray with your spouse. It's a difficult thing. You know why? Because it is countercultural. We want to help you understand what these expectations are. Here in this passage alone, Luke writes this and he uses the two words, earnestly praying. And if you're in your Bibles and you don't mind writing in it, here's something to write down. That phrase, what that actually means in the original language, it means intense intercession, intense intercession. And if you break that down further into the Greek, it means to stretch tightly in prayer. And as soon as I found that this week in studying, immediately the Lord took me because he knows how he created me visually. He took me to a game of Red Rover. And some of you are going to find that funny, but that's how God and I are. He took me to a game of Red Rover and what that means when the church came together, stretched tightly in prayer. Do you know if you've ever played Red Rover that the seconds before the opposition comes your way, you stretch and get as tight as you possibly can so that they cannot penetrate what you have created right here with another partner. Stretching tightly, opposing the opposition. Peter was in jail because he was running after Jesus. And they, the church, came together, arm in arm, stretched tightly in prayer, intense intercession. And that's just what they were known for. That was the environment that was expected. It's what the people were a part of. And it is my, our goal to not look like everyone else just so that we don't look like everyone else. But it is our goal and God-given mission that we create environments where intercession, intense intercession is the norm. So we just try to set environments like Wednesday night at 645 right here in this place. I know I look around, I see some of you here that are attending those prayer meetings. And I just want to give you a heads up. Don't come in here thinking that you're going to hear a sermon or a teaching from Pastor Brent or myself. You're you're not going to hear any music being played. You're not coming in here for any other reason but to intensely pray. I, I haven't even been here the last few weeks. I don't even lead these things. But there are other intercessors here who are spending time with God and they come and they overflow and they lead and guide the direction of prayer. And it's on Wednesday nights at 6.45. I don't know how else to do it. I I haven't read any books. I didn't go to school. I don't know any other way to do it than to start to get into an environment and just see what God does. And then the last thing, I'm going to run out of time here this morning. You can go look at this and read this for yourself. It's in Acts chapter 12, just below that fifth verse. And it is these people... They had an expectation of powerful moves of God. They expected God to move in powerful ways. And I can just be honest because, again, that is part of this environment is honesty and being very real. I just have to say there are some times, even in my current life, where I'm like, I know God's good. I know he's powerful, Right? I know all this stuff in my mind. I've read the Bible. I know all the principles and theories of God. I know all the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. I know that David killed a lion, and he also killed a giant. I know that Peter came with boldness, full of the Holy Spirit, and spoke, and thousands came to Jesus. I know all of the stories. I'm tired of just knowing the stories. I want a life that is guided in expectation that he, my dad, is going to move in a powerful way. I want to wake up tomorrow morning and my feet hit the floor and I am going to be disappointed if miracles don't happen. I want to know that I am bothered if I am not seeing powerful moves of God.